Father, we just thank you for this morning, and we do want to just thank you for the ministry that Bill and Eric had in Cambodia, just touching lives, sharing the gospel, and just providing help where it's needed. God, it just, uh, we just thank you for the opportunity that we can share your message, your son Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, we just thank you for the lives that came to know Christ, and we just pray for continued growth in them and to bring the, the pastors and the people and churches in Cambodia to help them draw closer to you. Lord, we just uh, thank you for this morning, and I would just pray that you just be with us as we look at your word and we just look at an example of how we should live our lives. And so, Lord, we lift this time up to you and we thank and praise you in Jesus' name. So this morning we are going to be looking at quite a bit of scripture. I'm not going to be going through a particular book of the Bible. I'm going to be looking at a person. And I got to thinking about this and I'm going, what is it that I have done or seen that would be similar? Marjorie and I used to do youth work. Uh, we, used to, we used to do uh, junior high. We used to do high school and we've even done college. And so... And we talked a little bit about this yesterday in the men's study is that, you know, youth group, a lot of times you plant a lot of seeds, but you don't see the harvest. And that's true. We saw that. But what's really exciting is years later, and Marjorie can attest to this because it happened to her. There was a girl that was in one of our youth groups and she went off on the deep end. She took off. She turned her back on the church. And had not seen her for quite a few years. Today, she's married to a godly man. She has three kids that love the Lord. She works uh, in a church in San Diego and coordinates women's ministries and all of that. And she ran into Marjorie and she says, you know, I know you thought I wasn't listening to what you were saying. But somewhere, somewhere along the line, something sunk in. And you know what? That's what we have to hope for. We plant those seeds and then we just pray because we don't save anyone. We don't save anyone. That's God's job. But we are responsible for planting those seeds. So this morning, we're going to kind of take a look at that. And um, what's a quitter? What is, what is a quitter? Just gives up, throws it away. Uh, Webster says basically it's a person who gives up easily is a defeatist, a deserter, a deserter. Remember that word or a shirker. I hadn't seen that word for a while. And then, uh, I go, I go through Facebook once in a while and there was a, there was a meme on there and it said, remember that guy that gave up? Neither does anyone else. But you know what? That's not always true. That's not always true, and I think we're going to see that this morning when we get to uh, talking about the person that we're going to be talking about. Steve asked me this morning, he says, what are you going to talk about? And I said, well, it's a surprise. I can't tell you. So, because it would spoil the surprise. So, you know, and, and I know you're probably sitting here thinking, what is this all about? What, what does this have to do with anything? Well, what we want to do first is take a look at Scripture and, and a few quitters. And some of the first ones I could, I could take a look at was the spies. Remember the spies that went into uh, Jericho to check out the land before the promise, before they crossed over? And we see that in Numbers 13, verses 31 to 33. 
And I think John's going to be showing a scripture on the screen because we will be jumping around. It says, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. Are they spread among... And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw, they are of great size. We saw the Nephilim, there the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now, last week, we ended kind of looking at believing as seeing. Remember towards the end of the message, believing as seeing. And so here, they're actually refusing the idea that God would give them a victory. They only trusted what they could see, and, they, and it looked impossible. Now, we know there were 12 spies. So we had 10 spies who brought back a negative report who just said, this can't be done. But we know there were two spies that said it could. It was Joshua and Caleb. So not only did they not trust God, they wanted to quit. They wanted to spread this throughout the people. So they own, so the 10 spies, they basically were quitters, but we'll see in the scripture we look at in just a moment, they were also gossips. So here they were going to quit, but then they're spreading a false report. And so turning away from God and what he could do for them, God had done all these things for them to the point. And now they're turning away from God. And this is what they did amongst all the Israelites. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled about Moses and Aaron. Of course, we know that never happens in church today, right? There's never any grumbling going on. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our children and wives will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So here they're deciding, you know, they're grumbling, they're complaining, they're going to choose a leader. They have been in slavery for over 400 years and they want to go back to Egypt? All God had shown them through this whole process going and wandering through the desert. I mean, he fed them every day. His clothes did not wear out. Now, I know that's probably not a good thing for some of the young people because I know they like to go clothes shopping before school starts. But can you imagine your clothes not wearing out? I mean, I know as a parent, I would love it. And providing food every day. We joke because... um, We were surprised at the amount of food we did not have to buy when our kids moved out. Um, So it just really makes a big difference. But can you imagine? Supplied all the food, their clothes never wore out. God took care of them this whole time. And he tells them, you cross over, I'm going to give you this. And what do they say? We'd rather go back to Egypt. Let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So they are basically turning against God's appointed leader. God appointed the leader, not them. We also see some of the disciples when 
Jesus was was preaching. It says from the, uh, John six verse uh, in John chapter six, it says from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So here they had Jesus right in front of him. We know that Jesus deserted, betrayed, and deserted Jesus. And that's just a few examples of quitters, deserters, people that just, you know, and they never came back around. But there's good news. There are people who did quit or who did desert, but did make an impact for Christ. They did change. And we're going to kind of look at that this morning. We're going to look at the people that came into this person's life that basically raised him properly, that basically mentored him, taught him, and was able to bring to him to a point that he made an impact for Christ. In, um, like Jonah. Uh, Pastor Bill mentioned that before he left for Cambodia, in Jonah 1, 1 through 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonas, son of Amittai. Go, and this is God telling him, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up on me. So that really should be our first cute clue. And that should have been Jonah's first clue. God said go. God told him to go. But what did Jonah do? And in verse 3 it says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard, sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I mean, really? You're going to flee from the Lord? You know, in Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. How foolish to think that we can flee from God. He's there. He's watching us. And he's got a plan for us. You know, Jonah did end up in Nineveh. And Jonah was used by God. His attitude might not have been quite right, but God did use him. He turned him around because Tarshish was in the opposite direction of where he was supposed to be going. And then what about Peter? He denied Christ three times. You know, in Luke 22, verses 29 through 60... About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow is with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. I know many of us are familiar with this part of scripture. It says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter, Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And I was thinking about that one, one section there. And he says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. I don't know about you, but I know when my dad used to turn and look straight at me, I was in trouble. I was in deep trouble. And so Peter, you know, it says in that last part of that, he went out and wept bitterly. He was just really broken. But you know, the positive thing about that is we know that Peter went on to do great things for, for God. He really went through and he actually ended up even being martyred. And one that I'm not sure if you're familiar with, we can kind of take a quick look at, is out of the book of Philemon, there was Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave to Philemon. And according to scriptures, Philemon was a very godly man and a Christian. 
But Onesimus wanted his freedom. So he stole from, he stole from Philemon and he escaped and he ran off. Well, while he was gone and um, Onesimus, obviously as he was there working in Philemon's home and working for Philemon, he would have heard the gospel because Philemon was a very godly man. Now, we don't know at what point Onesimus came to know Christ, but we know that he did because Paul tells us. And we don't know how Paul and Onesimus met in Rome, but we do know Paul had an impact on Onesimus's life, and he came to Christ. And obviously, that's part of the, the point of the book of Philemon. So this is a letter that Paul penned to Philemon, and Onesimus deserted his master, stole, and he wanted to quit being a slave. But God pursued Onesimus, and he came to know Christ. And when he did... He came in contact with Paul. And once he came in contact with Paul, Paul told him, you need to go back and make things right with your master. But he wrote this letter to Philemon and sent it to him. And so if you've never read and studied Philemon, I really suggest that you do. It's a short book, uh, has no chapters. It's just all verses. And it really has a great message of um, forgiveness and grace. And that's what we see from Onesimus. And you're thinking, okay, fine, slave comes to know Christ, what's the big deal? Well, looking back through and reading some of the history, um, you find some keys. And this is one that I thought was really interesting. Around A.D. 110, an early Christian leader named Ignatius, the bishop of Antioch, wrote a letter to the church of Ephesus. In that letter, he addressed the bishop of Ephesus multiple times repeatedly noting that the leader of the Ephesian church is a man named Onesimus. God has a plan for you, and he had a plan for Onesimus, and he's got, he had a plan for Peter. So we need to stay open to that. So God has a plan for us, and he's going to pursue us, because when you come to know Christ, he's got a plan for you. And we're going to look at scripture that says that. But but it might take a while. You know, we, we saw that Moses was, he was groomed over a period of 80 years before he actually led the people out of Egypt. So I'd like to ask you right now, before we go much further, have you ever quit anything? Have you ever quit a ministry? Maybe you just took off and went one direction and God brought somebody into your life that confronted you, turned you around. He, God will steer us where he wants us to be. You know, I've, I've heard it said one time, actually many times, that you never should tell God never, because that's where he will use you. There's a song out there. Um, in fact, they used to sing it. It's called, Please Don't Send Me to Africa. It's kind of like a prayer. Uh, and in that song, the guy, he's going on and he says, I'll collect the offering. I will set up for potlucks. I will hand out bulletins. I will do all of this, but please don't send me to Africa. That is the one thing he didn't want to do. And I've learned a valuable lesson over time and, and others that I've come in is you never tell God never because that may be just where he's going to test you. So you should be open to what God wants you to do. So, you have to be open to God and what he has in store for you. 
So that brings us to the person that I want to talk about this morning. And sometimes he may be overlooked a little bit, um, you know, for what he accomplished. Because there's not a lot written about him. Uh, but we're going to take a look at what has been written about him and the people that came into his life and had an effect. Um, we read a lot about Paul. We read a lot about Peter uh, because of the books that they had written in the New Testament. The person I want to talk about this morning is uh, Mark. He's and in Scripture. A lot of times you'll see him referred to as John Mark. And we first see Mark in Acts 12, uh, verses 1 through 12. And it briefly just mentions Mark. But what's important, and I think what's important through this, is the impact that we can see that Mark's mother had on him. We don't know much, but let's take a look at it. So Peter's imprisoned by Herod, and most likely he's on his way to be executed because he's going to have a trial. And uh, Peter's miraculously saved. By an angel who gets him out of prison. Actually, he's saved by God. God sends the messenger angel. So let's look at Acts 12, verses 1 through 11. And we'll pick up in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for God and that, or praying to God for him. And that's important. You know, we sometimes wonder, well, why do we pray for this person? Why do we pray for that person? And that's something that we should do. This was earnestly praying to God for him. And the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Sounds like a real dangerous guy, doesn't it? I mean, that's something I would expect they'd do with El Chapo. Uh, I mean, here Paul, you know, he just one guy. So suddenly... An angel of the Lord appeared and the light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, and the angel, the angel told him, and Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening and the thought he was having and thought he was having a vision they passed the first gate leading into the city it opened for them by itself and they went through it and when they had walked the length of one street suddenly the angel left him then peter came to himself and said now i know without a doubt that the lord sent his angel and rescued me from herod's clutches and from everything the jewish people were anticipating I mean, that, that's just enough right there to just really excite you. I mean, here he's, he's got guards and chains and, you know, he's, he's in prison and all of this opens up. But this is, what, this is the verse I really wanted to look at. Verse 12, Acts 12, 12. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So this is the only time that Mark's mother is mentioned in Scripture. But we can pull an understanding from what's going on from this one verse and know a little more about Mary. First, she was most likely a widow because the house was referred to as hers and not her husband's. So she's probably a widow. We know that John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas because in Colossians 4.10 it tells us. And we know that Mary was Barnabas's aunt. 
she supported the early church because that's where Peter felt safe to go after he gets out of prison. Me? I'd be hightailing it out of town. You know, I don't want to be anywhere near Herod. But here he goes to John Mark, to, his, to the mother's house, immediately after leaving prison because he felt safe there. She had to be brave because the church was going through persecution. I mean, here Peter was in jail. Um, and so we know that there was a lot going on. James, the brother of John, had been martyred. And Peter was about to share in that same fate until God got him released from jail. All this, and Mary still had a house church in her home despite the persecution. I mean, can you imagine today if we had that type of persecution and it may be coming? But we know know, in other countries it it happens. Uh, But the church still flourishes, that there are house churches. And so that was what would have been going on in Jerusalem is all these house churches that were there so that people could still worship. And she had to be a godly woman. And she turned out to be a good example to her son. So that's Mark's mother. So there's definitely something to be said for a godly mother. And we also can see that with Timothy, with his mother and his grandmother. You know, and I think many times, and if you've been in church long enough, uh, you'll find that the mothers are probably the prayer warriors of the church. More so than us guys, I'm sorry. Uh, I know there's a few of us out there, but, you know, mothers really do pray for their kids and their families. Um, What was the organization? Moms in Touch. And they used to get together. It was a pretty good organization, pretty big organization for a while. And they were organized in many schools, and they would pray for the teachers and the principals and the students. And that, that was their whole mission in life, was to pray for the kids and their kids in school. So here we can see a mother's faith. I mean, she uh, sets up a house church during persecution. But she served as a model to Mark. And I'm sure many of you know our kids watch us more what we do than what we say. I know mine did. And they're looking to see if you're modeling God's word. We shouldn't rely on don't do as I do, do as I tell you. Your actions really do speak louder than your words. And so our kids are watching us. And I think James addresses this in James uh, chapter 2. says, suppose a brother and sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing for the physical needs, what good is it? So can you imagine, you know, you you tell your kids, oh, we're going to pray for this person, but you have the means to help that person and you don't. What speaks louder? What you did or what you say? I think it's what you do. Acts 12, 25, we read, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. And I'm pulling out some of these verses because they do specifically mention Mark. And so this is where we do know that Mark is included in the ministry with Barnabas and with uh, Saul, also uh, Paul. And as they left Antioch, they would go to Cyprus. And in Acts 13, we read Acts 13, verses 4 and 5. 
The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. So here John Mark is with them and he's helping. And we see, you know, and we're not told exactly what he's doing, but he's doing what he thinks he'd do. He's being a helper. We don't see anything that he's preaching. We know that Saul and, and Barnabas are preaching and teaching. We don't see that from Mark. We don't know. All we know is that he's a helper. And so we should never discount what God wants us to do. You know, if he wants us to take out the trash, we take out the trash. You know, if he wants us to go pick someone up, take them to the doctor, we should go pick them up and take them to the doctor. God will use us however he needs to use us. So while they're out, you know, they run into a lot of things. We know in reading other books written by Paul and stuff, he went through a lot of different things. Even in Acts, we see that he was beaten and thrown outside the city in, in one place. Uh, here in, uh, it says they ran into a sorcerer and was, who was opposed to them. And we know in Galatians four thirteen and 15, and when I wrote this, I thought of Bill being so sick before he left it says paul was ill but not sure what and we're not sure what the illness was it just says that he was ill and if you've ever traveled when you've been sick it is so miserable it is so miserable and i'm sure bill can attest to that when he gets back um because i have traveled when i've been sick or i've gotten sick when i've traveled you know and normally what i want to do is i just want to get in bed and veg out, and normally when I veg out, I watch Star Trek movies, so I just have to admit it. I'm a, I'm a Trekkie, so uh, I do watch Star Trek movies. And that's usually what comforts me, you know, and Marjorie will get me soup or whatever I need. But I just want to be left alone. But not Paul. Paul is out there, and he's just plugging away. You know, and it's really, it's really tough to keep going when you're sick. I mean, because it just, it just takes everything out of you. But Paul kept going. And so, you know, they kept moving forward. And in Acts 13, 13, we see John Mark again. It says, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, Paul is a little more direct a little later on, but... In Acts 13, 13, it says, John Mark left them to return to Jerusalem. So we see John Mark return to Jerusalem. You know, he most likely, since he went back to Jerusalem, he went back to his mom's home. We don't know what caused Mark to return uh, to Jerusalem. But right in the middle of their mission, he just left. But we know Paul and Barnabas went on to complete the mission. So have you ever, have you ever given up, left someone in a lurch? They put their trust in you. They really were expecting you to do something. It could be a small way. It could be a large way. To cause problems in the relationship where really there was a, there was a divide there, especially since they were, you know, depending on you. You know, I can look back and when I was younger, may have left a ministry too soon. But you know, I found out God wouldn't leave me alone. He just kept, just kept bringing people in my life, just kept tapping me on the shoulder because he had plans for me. 
And he just wouldn't leave me alone. And he won't leave you alone either. So again, you know, we're not given any insight as to why Mark left. But we do know that it caused a problem with Barnabas and Paul. And we're going to see that in Acts 15, verses 36 to 40. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to to take him. And this is Paul's word. Because he had deserted, deserted them in Pamphylia and not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia and strengthening the churches. Paul used that word. He deserted us. And it really caused a rift between Paul and Barnabas. These were two guys that were really strong out there preaching and teaching the word of God. And it caused a huge tear between so and but unfortunately we don't know what you know why mark left but we do know that paul was not happy and the key word there is deserted and paul quickly reminded barnabas that mark deserted them and another desert another word for deserted is abandoned forsaken The last known deserter that was executed in the United States was right before the end of World War II. It was a soldier that was executed. And that's normally what would have happened in the military if you desert your post. And you know there's a case going on now. Um, He's not come to trial yet, but he uh, will be. And um, we'll have to see the outcome. But if you've read articles about, about this incident... I mean, the emotions run high because I always go to the comments. And kind of like Ron was saying, you kind of get caught up too much in this sometimes. You get your focus off the Lord. But the emotions run strong. I mean, people who support him and thought he did nothing wrong and people who just think they should take him out and shoot him. I mean, the emotions. And so you can kind of imagine the emotions that were running between Paul and Barnabas. And... um, You know, if you've ever served in the military, you realize what the term deserter means. And because you rely on one another, uh, especially in time of war. My nephew, my one nephew, he spent four tours in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. And trust me, you depend on the men in the field, men and women in the field, to support you. um, And do, you know, to be there and have your back. And Paul was not going to have any of it. He did, at this point, did not trust Mark. He said, this guy deserted me. And so, like I say, Paul wasn't going to have any of it. He wasn't empathetic. He wasn't sympathetic. And it really, like I said, caused a severe tear between Barnabas and Paul in the relationship. But you know what? Paul wasn't done, or God wasn't done with Mark. Scripture goes on to tell us that Barnabas and Mark went on to Cyprus, and so Barnabas had not given up on Mark. And Paul chose Silas and went on to Syria and Cilicia. Now, we do have an indication later on that Paul and Barnabas mend that relationship. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 9, 
verses 3 through 6. It said, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take believing, a believing wife along with us as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it I only and Barnabas who must work for a living? So somewhere along the line, Barnabas and Paul mended fences. They were able to build their relationship back, even though it had been torn apart by Mark. And so after Acts 15, Mark disappears for a while. But we do know he went off with Barnabas. We know he went home for a while. Uh, But he was with Barnabas and had a ministry. They don't tell us much more of what, what transpired. But we do know Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways. And is that it? No, that's not it. Because God's not done with Mark. God is not done with Mark by any means. Mark does get mentioned again by Paul. And we see this in Colossians four ten through 11. Paul is imprisoned and he lists those who are ministering to him. Colossians four ten through 11. My fellow prisoners, Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have provided a comfort to me. So somewhere, somewhere, God's grace, there is a fence that's been mended. Here, at one point, Paul had called Mark a deserter. Now he's saying, he's proved to be a comfort to me. So what happened? Scripture doesn't really tell us. But earlier in the disagreement over Mark deserting Paul, Paul and Barnabas, like we said, it caused a huge, huge divide. Now he's telling Colossian believers that Mark is a comfort to him. Now I don't know about you, but I can think back to at least one high school friend, well, I guess that's probably a fence I need to mend. But I can think back of somebody in high school that I would not want to associate with again. And I definitely would not call them a comfort to me. And what's really funny is I bet if I went back home, that guy would never even remember what we were fighting about or what tore us apart. I'm the one that's been holding on to it. And I'm the one that needs to let go of it. And I think that's part of what we need to learn from this, that we don't know what brought Mark back to a close relationship with Paul. But we do know that a relationship was there because he said he was a comfort to me. So something obviously has changed in Mark's life. And unfortunately, we don't know what all of that impact was. But here's what we do know. We know that Barnabas, who was a godly man, took Mark on a journey with him. So it was an opportunity to mentor him and talk with him. Uh, We know Mark had a godly mother and was praying for him. And later on, we're going to see that Peter had an influence in Mark's life. And you know, for my own life, I can kind of look back and people who've helped me and mentor me, get me on the right track, slap me upside the head when I was screwing up, helped me to understand scripture in my life. 
you know, some are gone, some moved, some are still around, and, and I'll never forget. When I was younger, and I usually say, usually when I say when I'm younger, it's when I had brown hair and a 34-inch waist, uh, I used to get up every Tuesday morning and go to a men's Bible study at 5 o'clock in the morning with nine other men. And we met at that time so we could do it before work. And we really got close. The ten of us got really close. And we had a really good Bible teacher that we had with us. And it just was a great time of fellowship. But we got to know each other. We got to know our warts and all of our bad side, our good side. And we actually could pray for one another, hold each other accountable. And, you know, I think that made an impact on my life growing up. Or actually, we were, I was married. We met, actually met in a real estate office over It's a Target now in El Cajon. There used to be a real estate office in there. Five o'clock every morning. But, you know, that was a good time that, you know, we could hold each other accountable and we could pray for each other and our families and really share and open up about what was going on in our lives. And um, my dad, in his later life, um, he really got close with the Lord. And, you know, it's something that I learned from him. And it was more by watching rather than hear what he said because he really did enjoy helping people. I always used to laugh because I could say he could drive by somebody's house and tell something wasn't right and he would pull in and go knock on the door. But one of the things he did, he always had a garden. As long as I could remember growing up, no matter where we lived, he always had a garden and it was always bigger than what we needed, even though he had six kids. But uh, when he retired, he moved in. There was a young couple living down the street. And he had this big-sized garden there. And my mom and him used to travel some because they want to go see the grandkids. None of the grandkids lived close. And so there was a young couple that lived down the street. And I always remember this to this day. And they barely can make ends meet. But my dad didn't want to just give them stuff. And so when they would go out of town, he would go up to them and say, you know what, we need somebody to watch after the house. And if you would do us a favor and pick whatever's in the garden that's ripe so it doesn't rot while we're gone and just use it because we don't want it to go to waste. And to me, that was just an example of just somebody that really wanted to help others. And it was an example to me. And really... You can see Christ through that, that, you know, he wanted to help someone, but he didn't want to, he didn't want to um, in, insult their, their pride or whatever, but gave them an opportunity that they could help him out and it would help them out. And so I would say that, you know, if you're struggling somewhere, that you pray for somebody to come into your life that can help mentor you, that can help, be, help you be accountable that you can talk to openly and honestly and just share things and know that those things will be kept private between the two of you. And I would say that if someone comes up to you and asks you to be that person, that you honor that, that you just, if nothing else, periodically want to get together and pray and you can hold each other accountable. We see Paul again refers to Mark and Philemon, verses 23 and 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark. Aristarchus, 
Demas and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with, be with your spirit. So again, we see Mark, and now he refers to him as my fellow worker, my fellow worker. And we see that Mark definitely, I mean, through this, we're seeing that Mark has definitely been restored to Paul as a valuable worker in the ministry. And he refers to him as my fellow worker. And later again in scripture, we see Paul refers to Mark. And this time Paul is imprisoned and it's uh, his final time in Rome. And Paul writes the letter and he writes 2 Timothy. It's the last book he wrote. And 2 Timothy 4, 9, 11 says, Do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, who we just read about in Philemon. Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. So Demas has deserted him and gone to Thessalonica. Uh, what we take from Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. I'm assuming they went off into ministry. They didn't desert Paul. But we see that Demas did. But this is what's important. Now this is Paul. After he had called Mark a deserter, this is what he has to say about Mark. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Now, I wish we had more to go on that we could see what happened between Barnabas and Paul and the split and what transpired in Mark's life. We know, like I said, we know he went home to his mom. We know that he spent time with Barnabas. And later, something turned around, he spent time with Paul. But we also know he spent time with Peter. And we see just a glimpse in First Peter. It's First Peter five thirteen. It says, "She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark." Now we know that Mark is not Peter's son, but that's the close relationship that they have. It was so close. He referred to him as his son, and so through Barnabas, through Peter, through a godly mother. And eventually, in the healing relationship of Paul, we see that Mark gets restored 100%. And Paul really depends on him for the ministry. And I don't know about you, but I think, wow, how amazing could it have been to be around and be under as a student to Peter and Paul? You know, and Barnabas. I mean, just the things that you would be able to learn and to see the fire in them for Jesus Christ. You know, Mark faltered, and we do too. But you know what? We can be restored. So no matter what's happened, God wants to use you, and he has a plan for that. And he tells us, we look in Proverbs 16, 9, in the hearts, in their hearts, humans plan their course. But the Lord establishes his steps. In Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in the man's heart, but it is the Lord's purposes that prevails. So Mark became very useful to Paul and to Peter. And Mark went on to write, the Gospel of Mark. And it's actually been referred to as the Memoirs of Peter. So Mark spent quite a bit of time with Peter, writing down what he said. So first we see Mark as a deserter. We see Mark runs home. But then 
we do see that he spent time with Barnabas. He spent time with Peter. And he builds a relationship back with Paul. And becomes a, a force for God. And writes the gospel of Mark. You know, God didn't give up on Mark. And God doesn't give up on us. I know sometimes when we think about we're going to go in one direction. And you ever wonder, you ever wonder why... God puts something in your way and tries to get you to go somewhere else. He's got a plan for you. And he's going to get you there whether you like it or not. So if you've given up or felt like you've deserted somebody or someone or some ministry, I would ask you that you would just pray that God would bring individuals or God would just stir your heart in the right direction. Pray for someone to help you. Pray for someone to come along and, and, and help you. Because, you know, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he has work for you to do. And the reason I know this is he actually tells us this in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And this is the best part of that, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So if we're his and we profess that we are his, Who are we not to do what he's prepared for us in advance to do? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for godly mothers that can just speak into our life. For godly men like Barnabas and Peter and Paul. God, that they don't give up on us. That they will reach us and touch us and just tell us what needs to be done. They will hold us accountable and that's what we need. Lord, we thank you that uh, Mark was restored and that he became such a great resource for you. And, And we see that as he was a comfort to Paul and he was a fellow worker of Paul. And so, Lord, we thank and praise you for what you do. And again, just bring Pastor Bill and Eric home safely. And we thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.